Hi, I'm John Billingsley, and you are listening to Beyond Track Podcast. What are some thoughts of yours towards the whole, like, is Star Trek getting too woke? The idea that a show that exists to push the boundaries in terms of what is acceptable and what is it, and what it should be like just part of our human condition, which mm-hmm. is, you know, everybody on the fucking ship, everybody on the fucking ship, as long as you're nice. To me, it's like you can't be too woke. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Beyond Trek Podcast. In the room today, I've got Renzo and Big J. Today, we're going to talk to you about Lower Decks episode something or other, uh, Spy Humongous. Uh, the Packlets come back in a big way. Spoiler. Alert. Spoiler. Alert. Spoiler. Alert. We're in episode that... six. Daniel. Thank you. I really we're appreciate that. We're already more than halfway through. I know. Yeah. I wish I could go back to the beginning of the season. Uh, once we got past episode one, I was I was good. I was no, back on board. Episode one like was great. It, I'm just it's that's just, just me. I just really liked that Renzo pointed out that episode one set the precedent that Ransom always has to screw up the crew in the first episode. I love it. I want that <laughs> to keep happening. That keeps going. Yeah. Now, so this this title, a spy humongous, is that a play on uh, the game a Spy Among Us or, or like the game Among Us? I think the phrase predates the game by like a century. I mean, we had there was that TNG episode, "Lonely Among Us," right? "Lonely Among Us," Um, and I I think I think there's a little bit of both in there. I think it is definitely a play on "Among Us," but it also references in this episode how the packleds were sort of confusing words. Yes. So there's there's that cool little tidbit in there. Yeah, you know, I'm starting to get to where I actually like Packlet episodes because they have made them pretty interesting, honestly. Yeah, they're not as dumb as, like, you have to assume that they would be for some of their ideas to make sense, right? They seem to just have a real trouble with, like, communications. Like, they can't explain what they want, but what they want itself is not necessarily stupid. Like, sending up the spy doesn't reveal that he's a spy. He's he gets tricked at the end because again they're bad at communicating but Mm -hmm. sending up a spy as a refugee or somebody who's trying to like escape that's a decent enough plan she's got to be a better actor and communications are their problems so they can't act and communicate right i I think part of their danger is their uh i wouldn't say inability but their how they communicate because they get things wrong so they may be i think that's what makes them dangerous they understand things differently and i think that that hurdle in communication is what makes them kind of dangerous because you may say something you think is completely normal and they might take it as an insult who knows so that that's the the danger of stupidity i hate to use the word stupid but i can't think of yeah no i mean it's something that's got a lot of history in all star trek right like we've had times where Janeway straightened her shirt or something and that was insulting or eating around a certain alien race was insulting or Porthos peeing on a plant almost caused an interstellar incident right like this yeah. has this has let like history to it right so here we've got a culture a race that uses their ability their inability to communicate almost to their advantage sometimes they play mm-hmm. dumb and they try and do that that's essentially the, the Samaritan snare episode was them playing dumb right 
And sometimes it is legitimately to their disadvantage, like when Freeman manages to talk them into things or when Riker talks them into things, too. So, yeah, it's an interesting approach to it. Yep. But so let's actually start with the description of what, what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. So we start with a typical captain's log, which I love about this show. Starts with captain's log and starts with exterior shots of the ship almost every episode. Can I just and... say how cool it is to look at these ships this way and to be able to pick pick out like the Romulan Warbird, the Klingon Disruptors, the the Packlid's original configuration, and whatever the heck those engines are on the back? Like that's cool. Tellerite. It's an oversized Tellerite tail. From what? Enterprise. We've seen Tellerite ships before. Yeah. On Enterprise, yeah. Guess I have that, to that go episode, back and watch Enterprise. It, it, I only it remember was like one episode. It's not the scale, but yeah. It's fourth season. It was uh, either a two or three parter. It was the one where there was this uh, cloaked Romulan. Drone oh, the Anar. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's pretty neat though that we're seeing the chunks from their ships everywhere, or yeah. the chunks of ships on these things. Definitely Great. with you there. But anyway, so the the, the setup is. Uh, Captain Freeman is report is telling uh, or putting in the log that the Federation has sent her to negotiate a potential ceasefire to reduce Packlet aggression to the Packlet homeworld, which is named Packlet Planet, not Cardassia Prime or Andoria, nothing like with the t- nope Packlet Planet. It cool. gets to the point. Got it. Yeah, yeah it's All straightforward. Right. It's also hilarious to me, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> yeah. So that's that's our setup. She's sent there and she's beaming down. Uh, with shacks uh, to start the negotiation. How does a species like this get architecture like this? It's pretty cool looking, right? It's really cool. They have cool. good, and they have good architecture. It's like refined gold. Yeah. It's beautiful. That, that's the thing that amazes me about the packleds and some of these other races where you ask yourself, how are they able to to communicate and evolve to the degree technology to be able to do these things. Why are we assuming this is their original planet, right? Like I they mean, could have stolen this planet from someone too. Oh, for sure. okay. All right, yeah. But so honestly, my guess is that they probably had like a cultural regression, right? Like maybe they had a plague or something that made their communication centers of their brain go numb or something like that, but they used to be more normal and then something happened to them. That's actually my guess. There are some listeners looking around the world right now going, called out. (laughs) Listen, (laughs) plagues make people do crazy things, right? (laughs) I've seen Idiocracy. I know how this works. You know that firsthand. You know. I hadn't thought of it that way. They bred themselves to stupidity. That could yep. work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. No, so we- they beam down and they meet with their uh, ambassador, uh, Grubdin, um, who initially confuses Freeman with Cap- Captain Janeway, who I think is an admiral at this point anyways, but still, Captain Janeway. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe they're talking about the Janeway who was on the bridge of the Enterprise-D in one episode. No. Yeah, I think they said Catherine anyways, but Yeah, they they did. They said Captain Janeway. Just like every ship's the Enterprise. Yep. Every ship's the Enterprise, it's true. <laughs> uh but yeah, so they beam down and she says that she's here to negotiate a ceasefire, and Grubden points out that, oh, my hat's not big enough for a ceasefire. I can't negotiate a ceasefire. My hat's just not big enough. Freeman is visibly annoyed and uh then they get a, a runner from the building behind them that lets them all know that, like, hey, uh, their prisoner has escaped. Rumdar has escaped. And uh, he's on the Cerritos. 
So the the Packleds knew that Rumdar had escaped and was on the Cerritos before uh, Freeman did, which was interesting. You'd think her crew might have, you know, texted her. Uh, <laughs> or it's just a total giveaway that they knew what they were doing. It yes, it couldn't. Like they knew what they were doing, but couldn't hide it. He literally like pushed the button to beam him out and then ran out the hall. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, but so that is pure pack lead right there. That I mean, it, sounds it, it very much right. <laughs> right, it it works. It's like I said, they're they're dangerous by stupidity. Well, that's the thing, right? If something is stupid, but it works, is it actually stupid, right? Like, that's the real... Okay. I think that's something that they want us to think about during these episodes. I don't right, yeah. And I like the, the helmet thing. I think that that is what they use for their rank. Instead of having rank pips or, or medals uh, or badges, et cetera, et cetera, it's, it's the helmet. It's how your yeah. helmet looks. We've all seen in like dictatorial regimes when like people have like epaulets on their shoulders and like yes. a plank worth of like different medals and bands and such. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's not so crazy that it would be hats. I do this yeah. well. Oh, there's two Vicks, your doggy. Sorry. Anyways, he's got uh, something to say about packlets. Okay. I think he'd eat them if he had the chance. <laughs> uh, but no, so what happens is they they hail up to free to uh, jack ransom who tells the captain that yeah they've got a pack led who's apparently seeking political asylum um so then shacks and freeman are detained by grubden and political asylum so i just i don't know I, now was he so i'm looking at the pictures here on cygnus-x1.net and so he was beamed up because I thought that if, you, if you're looking at the one with Ransom and... Um, hey, Sean. Yeah. yeah. It looks yeah. like he took a shuttle. And it, it, I, yeah, that looks like a, a Packlet shuttle. To the audience, if you're not sure what, you're what we're talking about because you're listening to us, check over on the VOD on YouTube. We have a cool background and images discussing the same things. Yeah, as we go through it, there's little slides essentially yeah. for us to but describe I, things. I'm right there with you, Jay. I seriously was like, he took a ship up, which means his ship was probably en route before they beamed down. Like, just mm -hmm. timeline thing, super right? obvi. Yeah, yeah. Weird. L little obvious detail. Okay. Yep. So then we hit the intro credits, which are as usual delightful, all the usual stuff, and our next scene, if you guys are ready for it, is in the mess hall again. I like the mess hall scenes. This show it spends is. a lot of time in the mess hall. Well, that's the the socializing area. That's that's kind of like the um, the cafe in Seinfeld where they're they're always at, or the bar in Cheers. Like th this, this is the place where we get to learn more about. It's, it's either here or in their uh, in their bunks. So that's where you're going to get the interactions with them, which I, I think is great. Well, and honestly where else are you going to hang out yeah no i i get it it's a, it's a it makes sense when you have a group of people who aren't spending time on the bridge right mm -hmm. like they're not in engineering all the time they're not in the mess the, the mess hall is like their equivalent it's their place where all our main characters always meet yes so it makes sense it just it's a lot of a lot of episodes take a lot of time in the mess hall all right <laughs> um and we have mariner and boimler eating white goop and tendy and rutherford eating brown goop with no description provided, but it looked quite bad, actually. And Oatmeal. they all get, yeah, they got, like, messages with their next duty assignments. 
and they have. Do you want to tell us, Dag? Uh, I didn't actually note what that particular event was. I like the name. Anomaly of it. collection or something like Anomaly that. Anomaly yeah. cleanup. Anomaly consolidation duty. Oh, that's it. Uh, uh, which is like it makes sense that Starfleet has this, yes. right? Like, go in and make sure that Shax didn't leave any Pa Wraith symbols from his last mission somewhere. Clean up genetic testing anomalies with with Taana, etc. All these things make sense, right? Somebody's got to clean this shit up and send it back to Earth for for study or destruction. Makes sense. Well, okay. To me, it didn't really make a lot of sense. Oh, why not? I mean, why are they called anomalies? It's the catch-all for the weird stuff that uh, oh, okay. ships encounter, or you either encountered it and it was bad, so you brought it back to the ship for study, or you did an experiment and it was bad or good, so it stayed on the ship for study, or you know the the the, the crew tried to cure some kind of a cold and ended up releasing an intron virus that caused everybody on the ship to devolve. So you got a sample of that intron virus and you put it in you know sick bay. So now all of these things I'm guessing is you know anomaly consolidation duty comes around when a ship reports like a critical mass of these things, and they have to be offloaded to a science vessel that can secure. Uh, those things and continue the study of them. Okay. Do you remember Indiana Jones when they yes. have those warehouse scenes where it's literally just everything the government has ever seen that's massive like that? The warehouse well, I scenes? Think this, yeah, Area the Area 51? Scenes. Were they Area 51 though? They were. I don't know. I thought it was under the Pentagon. No, that's Area 51. Okay. Whatever. I mean, it's that's... revealed in the fourth movie that it's Area 51. That's fair. Do we even consider that one canon though? Yes. We have to. Yeah. All right, but yeah, so those <laughs> scenes are essentially what I think is going on here. You've probably got like a facility in orbit of Pluto or something, or maybe dug into Pluto that just contains shit you don't want getting back out. That makes forever. sense. Yeah. I, well, I, I guess the way I always thought of anomaly was something in space, like a, a void or a something spinning. Big J, and... you're an anomaly in space. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The Earth is in space, so you are in space, right? Oh no, it's just what? a name for things that are weird. You want to okay, say that to yeah. my face? <laughs> I'll say it to your face. Your in face October. is an anomaly. Pinky swear. <laughs> but yeah, so it's a fun time. Um, I think that sounds like a fun duty. Uh, so does Tendi, but the and and Boimler, apparently. Boimler's Mariner, Jones on it. Oh yeah, but Mariner is like this is the worst. She is adamant that it sucks, and uh, Rutherford doesn't seem too enthused about it either. Well, I think to me, Rutherford is—he's the kind of character that is neither overwhelmed or underwhelmed. He's just whelmed. Just like that's fair. He—he's just kind of a even—I don't know. I, I can't think of who to compare him to or describe is just he's this even keel kind of person he's always reminded me of miles o'brien in the sense he kind of like goes along to get along pretty much yeah okay and i think that, that that's fine yep but yeah so then we have our little goof up of the scene where uh boymore slips and spills his white goop all over himself it's so funny, the dog. Um, it, it could have been like, it's probably white rice. They're eating white rice and brown rice. I, I don't know. Jambalaya? If you if you liked listening to Tuvix, love this episode with us, give us a like and a follow. 
Tuvix is the name of the dog. We're going to splice them out to two we, different We dogs. give extra pats for likes and follows. He gets all the good yeah. pats, but we'll treats. give extra treats for likes and follows. That's going like to be the headline for the episode. Feed Tuvix. He loves pig ears. Pig ears, good. Yeah, that's funny. But yeah, so we've got uh, Boimor then walking away with like stuff covering him. Tendi had a good laugh at his expense, which probably stung a little bit because she's usually so kind. Uh, but, you know, Boimor's walking away and he gets intercepted by a ensign at another table uh, who tries to, like, sell him on this whole notion of, like, join our group, we'll help you get promoted. One of our previous members <clears throat> just got promoted to the Ventura or something, um, and they really try and sell him on this whole idea of, like, act more captainly and you can become captainly, and we'll get you acting captain's duty or try and get it for you or something, right? And in this group, we find that there's Ensign Casey, who's the, the dude with the curly hair, uh, Ensign Castro, uh, a female human, it appears. We've got Jennifer the Andorian, and the Zinti Ensign is back here uh, as part of this little group. And they call themselves the Red Shirts. Probably <laughs> a shitty choice. And Boimler gets that. But I have to ask, you know, we've done the we've done a couple of episodes on uh, that that guy, and I have to ask, is it Zinti or Kazinti? So I thought it was Kazinti. So if you follow the pronunciation from the Manzin Wars. The K is silent. It's just Zin. Oh. Hmm. But I don't know really how consistent that's going to be anywhere All else. Right. All right. Yeah. Zinti. We'll go with Zinti. There's a really cool yeah. moment with the Zinti in this episode, and I love it, but we're yes. not there yet. Yeah. And if any, any of you yeah. listeners have, like, any sort of background on how Zinti was pronounced in some other media, let us know. Yeah. Right? I'm going off of how... The uh, the Wing Commander movie did it too because I think they had the same name for something and they also called them Zinti. Hmm. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, you're. I remember correctly. Is it, it was something very close to that. Yeah. So that's Zinti. yeah. Anyways, so that's that little group of red shirts. Boimer does point it out because they are so meta aware of stuff, which I love. Uh, that it's kind of an interesting name choice. But he gets yeah, over so, it quickly. Yeah, and he joins. And, uh, yeah, so they decide that they're going to, like, give him a little bit of a glow-up to try and make him more captainly, and out he goes, not with his normal crew. And Mariner's like, oh, he's, he's sucking up to those guys for a promotion. Great move, or something like that. She actually, like, appreciates it. But it's another abandonment moment. Like, and she doesn't we like just... Things. We just had our drinks at the bar thing where we got over mm -hmm. all of this, and now the very next thing we get is Boimler being like, peace out, I'm going off with these guys to suck up and get cozy shifts and get out of other duties. Uh, well, I, don't I, think it's, I don't think it's any of that. I think it's really just the getting out of anomaly containment duty, because she hates that duty. He's found a way out of that duty, and irrespective of the rest, that's worth it, I think, for her. Hmm. Well, or is it more that he he aims to please and he just kind of kind of goes with wherever the river is going he's just following it if uh, he was going to do this anomaly containment duty he was going to do the anomaly containment duty but because this guy walked up to him and offered this thing he boingler is very non-confrontational uh very passive so when when approached like that if if that guy hadn't come up well, of course he would have went to anomaly containment duty but i just i just think that he's on that raft and he's just going where the river goes and he probably doesn't do it in, intentionally i don't think he knows about mariners abandonment issues and so forth but 
what is he going to do about it? This guy is talking to him about this this club, and so he can't turn him down, can't say no, because he's not confrontational. Mm-hmm. Peer pressure. Well, the other thing is he he is peer pressure sensitive for sure. But oh, yeah. he also has some ambition, right? Like, it's made... Boymore is, not, if nothing else, he wants to be a captain. Like, that is his life's goal, right? So if he's got an opportunity here to get some experience in that, some way of recovering his rank that he lost when he left the Titan... That might help him out. And this group of four people is definitely stroking his ego a little bit by asking about, like, what was it like with Riker? What was his chair like? What, how did he go to this? How did he do this? What did he think of this? And he's got answers to this, which makes him the center of atten- attention, which is great for anybody's ego. So all that fits for me. It works. It makes sense. Well, he's probably having an identity issue because he is a transporter clone. One of them is a transporter clone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then our next scene is where we break to Ransom and Kayshawn, who is back and who's speaking, like who has the same voice actor, so it's not like we lost that. There were a couple good uh, Tamarianisms in there. Oh, yeah. Um, they're escorting Rumdar around, and Ransom is doing the whole, like, diligent host thing. Like, all right, so why are you seeking asylum? Is it, like, religious persecution? Are you leading a rebellion? Like, tell us about your needs, right? And uh, Rumdar tells me just wants to know how their shields work. Straight up. <laughs> and then he just starts taking pictures and uh Buzz Ranson said I think he just With a, took a picture camera. of the shoe. Yeah. <laughs> and a wristwatch and I, I didn't catch what um uh with the what's his name? Why not Kayshawn? His name. Yeah, Kayshawn. Uh said something about are you getting and he used a metaphor he says vibes. Are you getting Bosminti when he pulled back the veil vibes? Which is a <laughs> reference to a spy being revealed. Just I I like how they're incorporating his their metaphors into just the, that casual language. Yeah, yeah, and that's that makes sense too, right? Because yeah, he's probably learned enough Federation standard or Federation basic to get a get a, get by, clearly. But every now and then, the metaphor contains more meaning. And if Ransom knows some of their metaphors, it's a good way to tell a story without having to tell the whole story. Well, and it's not like we don't use metaphors. It's true. If if you remember in, um, you know, Star Trek Into Darkness, no, uh, Kirk had finally kind of... The raft. You were describing, like, being on a raft going with the flow. That's oh, yeah. a metaphor, right? We, it's yeah. It's super common. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, because in that movie, Kirk even kind of got fed up with McCoy and the metaphors. He said, no, stop it with the metaphors. That's an order. So we we do it we use it and when we use those metaphors we know what we're talking about so really they are they speak like what we do part of the time they do it full time yeah like meme culture is essentially tamarian speak right like if i'm Ooh. responding to something with like smiley faces and then an eggplant i think there's a reason why i'm doing that there's, i'm hinting at something right the eggplant <laughs> has some meaning right same thing here Zinti with his eyes closed means something, right? Yeah. What does it mean? But Zinti when he pulled back the veil. But another cool thing about it, it's a really easy way to communicate a reference to somebody in code. Yes. Like, if you have a yeah. shared mythology and you're talking to somebody who doesn't understand that mythology, you can be like Achilles when he got shot in the ankle. Like, right. that's our and weakest right. link. I have zero idea inclination to believe that the Packlets have any idea how Tamarian language works. Right. No, like, that's no. that's yeah. definitely beyond them. They're having some they're having a struggle. They don't even probably don't even have really their own cultural language in that context. Yeah. So they'd have to develop the cultural language, then do something significant enough that would be 
referenced in that language to become common enough to be uh, just a term that you would use, you know? Um, well, yeah. one thing that this episode definitely tries to get us to do is don't underestimate the, the pack lads, right? But I don't think I'm, mis I'm underestimating them by thinking that they would struggle with the concept of Tamarian language mm -hmm. because they struggle with language, right? Like communicating their ideas is something they seem to be very bad at. Now you add the additional like layer of abstraction that you now you have to like think the way they think and think in their metaphors. Yep. I think that they would not be able to communicate. It'd be pretty rough for them both. Um, but yeah, so uh, Freeman and Keishon come to the conclusion that this guy's a spy. He's a shitty spy. He's taking pictures of his feet. So he calls down Freeman to let her know that the guy's not really a refugee. He's really just a spy. He's yeah. not a good one. And uh, her directive is keep him talking. See if you can find anything as to why they're attacking Federation space in the first place. Right? Valid. Valid. Makes sense. Milk the guy for info. For sure. And then we go back to a scene with Mariner, Tendi, and the group. Yeah, they are in the middle of their anomaly consolidation. I thought that the... Uh, now, there were there were several anomalies they went through. I know that there were probably references to things in other episodes. And for a brief moment, when... Rutherford is looking at the uh, the desk and those crystals are there. I wanted to think those must be infinity stones. The colors but are wrong, but yeah, I get what you're right. going with it. Well, no, all that means is that they just never acquired the soul stone or the... Um, <laughs> which one's the yellow one? The, the mind stone. stone. Right, right. So, fortunately... Uh, those wonderful folks at Reddit who tear, like figured out all of the same things and this really cool list of you know deep cuts. Um, most of us were like astonishingly refreshed that most of these anomalies are uh, not direct reference to really anything previously. There's a couple of them, but uh, mm -hmm. we can talk about them when we get to them. Okay. I do want to say I can I continue to appreciate the fact that. Lower Decks makes it clear that the Enterprise is not the only ship that finds weird shit out there. Right? Yeah. Every ship has its own stories. No, the Cerritos is not as fancy as the Enterprise, but they still find stuff that could destroy a civilization on the regular enough that they have to have anomaly collection duty. Yeah. Like yeah. That's a good point. So they're moving around some crystals unlabeled, which they note, right? Like Ransom didn't even label these crystals kind of thing. Um, they put them into storage containers. And then there's this uh, jaw of a reptile is what it looks like, but it's a frog's jaw, apparently. It's um, a frog's jaw, but it looks like Squirtle. <laughs> yeah, it like, does. Like, man. I can't, I can't not see Squirtle there. Is that okay? Uh, yeah. That's sad. Yeah. What's sad? Just a dead Squirtle, just the very idea of them. No, 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 no. You're missing the thing. It's sad that there's a dead Squirtle on Ransom's desk, but Squirtle exists in Star Trek now. So there's a whole planet out there that has little Squirtles. Is it the planet of Pokemon? Can we visit Pokemon yes. World? Gotta Pokemon catch them all. Now. Did Ransom catch this? this idea. Did Ra Ransom catch this Squirtle? Did he like win a fight? How do Pokemon <laughs> tournaments go? I don't know. I don't play Pokemon. I just know like you don't kill them. I know like four Pokemon by sight. I don't know. I'm, I'm with you that it could be a, that it looks kind of like a Bulbasaur, more so than a Squirtle. But yeah, it looks mm -hmm. it looks like that. Anyways, Bulbasaur. Kendi, that's 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 exactly my brain. Is that the one you thought you were saying? Yeah, that's the one I thought I was saying. Okay. 
cool, cool. Uh, yeah, so it's, it looks like a little cool Bulbasaur skull, which makes sense because it is the, the skull of a large frog of some kind. Um, Rutherford then warns that it's from a planet with like weird evolution or something. Uh, but they accidentally drop it, and the skull dissolves into like a green mist that Rutherford inhales, and it makes him Hulk out. Um, which is unfun, it looked like. Uh, Mariner tells Tendi to grab like this red vial or something, mm-hmm. and they smear it on his face, and he shrinks back down after wrestling with him a little bit. So, not only is Anomaly Collection Duty like something that has to happen, there are responses to different things that are so well understood that they like come prepared. <laughs> oh, there's going to be something mutagenic in here? Make sure you bring the red vial or something, right? Like, it's so commonplace. So, well, I have, you I have the I have what's left of the red vial. <laughs> what was in that? Like a changeling Makeup? blood sample? No, no, it's. I have a hypo spray, and it has. Oh no! Jeez, a cool you have everything. Thing and That's awesome. You pop it in there, and I play a doctor on Tuesday nights, so I have all the medical stuff now. He's a dojin. I even have the third arm sewed into the shirt. It's great. Oh, okay. That's awesome. <laughs> Dag okay. does not play around. No, he doesn't. <laughs> uh, when he plays around, he doesn't play around. <laughs> Beat me by that much. But yeah, so Rutherford uh, is turned back to normal, and then they notice that Boimler and the, the red shirts are walking by, talking about Riker, and uh, they literally ask uh, Boimler, how often does he clean his trombone? It's another one of those like eggplant-level references, I think. Oh, please tell me it's not true. But then Rutherford, but then Boimler goes off and says, often, like almost too often, like it was distracting, uh, distractingly often, and now with your little metaphor there, like eggplant, eggplant, egg... <sighs> Right? Yeah. But yeah, so that was fun. Um, and they walk past another scene with Rumdar and Keyshawn and uh, Ransom just outside of the Cerritos' gift shop. <laughs> Love that. A gift um, shop. <laughs> so you remember really? that the, the Discovery crew had Discovery tees, right? Yeah. 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 The so, disco ones. I like those. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, so the idea that there's like a ship's exchange or something fits pretty well, right? You just replicate mm-hmm. some stuff and have it there if you have guests on ship. Cool. Well, we've seen, we've seen episodes like this, I feel like, in at least one of the series where they go to a ship's store for uniforms or some kind of clothing. And I can't remember if it's a Voyager or an Enterprise. Mm, I feel like a it's a Voyager. The there's like a... It's, it's like a... They're these little pillars and such. No, but like, that's like a, this was way more utilitarian. There were these pillars and on the top of the pillars, there were clothing samples and they would pick it up and then put it back down. And they'd be like, yes, this is, this is the uniform I want. And something, I remember this. I don't remember what that's the Orville that I remember, but I don't remember one in TMG or anything. Crap. It's the Orville, isn't it? Dang it. Because there's a cool scene where the husband of the second officer is looking for something and he's like making different pillows or something and they have like weird replicators that go up and down or something and he's looking at fabric samples there but i don't remember anything like that in trek it might be there i'm not per- I, don't I don't even remember that from the orville if it was in the orville that scene was definitely in the orville i remember okay. it because they have a fight about it we're adopting the orville like we adopt galaxy quest you're on honorary trek. star trek cool so anyways uh they mentioned that since now they're done with the top secret uh gift store uh, they're going to go look at other things. And uh, Rumdar asks about seeing the warp core next. And uh, Kayshawn have a laugh. Uh, they talk to each other. 
Uh, they... A temporal anomaly strikes. Which is a reference to Samaritan Snail, which I love. Um, and then they start talking amongst each other, underestimating the pack one again, and he's gone. He escapes. He's gone. We don't know where he's gone. The computer is asked to locate him. The computer cannot locate him. Uh, which should be concerning. He's a spy on the ship. You know he's a spy, and somehow the computer can't find him. Uh, but they don't call for, like, a yellow alert. They don't alert security. They don't do anything. They just start running around trying to find the guy. But, uh, yeah, you're telling me that a guy this size can just sneak off and disappear like he's Batman? You know, you have a conversation, you has... turn away, look back again, he's gone. Maybe it's technological, right? Maybe he's got a device that, like, blocks him from being detected by the ship's internal sensors. I'm not saying the Pac-Man's invented it. Maybe they bought that from someone. Well, yeah, but I mean, they're they were standing at an intersection of of always. I just I don't see how he got away yeah. when there's eyes on. It's uh, you know. Uh, oh, well. Neither did the they. <laughs> Listen, people are really bad about paying attention to things when they're locked in a conversation. Like I see this all the time. People who don't pay attention where they're walking, they'll walk into shit all the time. Watch people on their phones at intersections. Oh God, it is yes. Terrifying what people are doing. Here you've got Kayshawn and uh, Ransom bragging about how dumb the Packlet is, turn their backs on him while they like snicker about him behind their, their backs, and the Packlet's gone. Going back to that theme of maybe be careful how you underestimate them. Right, right yes. Um, we learn later in the episode what exactly happened to him, and it's not very impressive, but uh, the fact Shaka. that he didn't get away from them is still bad. Cool. Um next scene we're with is... tendy rutherford and mariner on our way to our next collection yeah these are a bunch of little vignettes of them just doing things nothing to no no long conversation or anything just like them going through different rooms to, grabbing stuff interesting moment where odd things happening interesting moment where mariner goes to smell a plant and the plant attacks her yeah like what happened in uh the apple yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Spock and, went in for a smell and got got tased. So that's got that's uh, that's this side of paradise where they got high. The apple was the one with Vol and the attacky plants that killed the red shirts. Ah. So this is an interesting moment there, and the plant here even gives off that TOS alien vibe too. Leadership, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starfleet Leadership Academy. It's ongoing mission to develop leaders through Star Trek to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. A Star Trek podcast told through the lens of leadership development. Subscribe today. The Starfleet Leadership Academy. You know what it actually reminds me of? So this is an obscure one. This is a deep cut for like reference, right? There is a Star Trek video game called Star Trek Generations, which was supposed to be like the movie Generations, and it did cover all the content of the movie, but it also covered a whole lot of like additional stuff, right? Mm -hmm. In one of the planets that you visit while looking for the Klingon sisters and where they were hiding their plant, like their base was, you go to a planet that has uh, biological plant attack things all over that looked a lot like these dudes. Uh, and they definitely sprayed at people's faces, and it came as like a little cloud of ne like needles, and you have to get out of the way. Can uh, you? Like, that's a hugely deep cut. Like, that's like a through and through. I haven't the, played that game. Can you ever. find? Do you have that game still? Can you I find do. an image of that? I don't know if I can find an image. It's pretty deep in the game, but I can try and look for it. 
Okay. Well, the, here's the here's where it's different though. They weren't they weren't just plants. The planet that you were on, you didn't realize it at the time, was actually a living organism. It was like a, a whole thing, and that was part of its like immune system. You didn't know that at the time at the beginning of the episode, but it looked a lot like this. They may not know it by this time. It's it's just a great cut. Cool. That's only ten years prior to this. Like yeah, those plants went all that's perfume at the mall. That's um, hugely cool, right there. Um, cool. So one thing that they are setting up though is that Tendi tries things. Tendi doesn't get attacked, but the next person to truck touch anything that she's touched is the one who gets messed up. Right. Um, because remember, Tendi had been playing with the frog skull thing, then uh, Rutherford gets hulked out. Uh -huh. uh, in the first one, she's smelling the flower. Then Mariner goes to smell the flower, and Mariner's the one that gets the stings that have to get yep. pulled out painfully. So, and then take a look at the image where Mariner's getting shocked by the clock. Yeah, she's like in the air. So, look over to the left-hand side of that. In the background, there's a little red beam on a device yeah. there. That mm -hmm. that is a total reference Everywhere. to that. It's 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 a piece of tech that's in every tech scene whenever they need it in TNG. Yeah, sometimes in DS9, sometimes yeah. even on Voyager. Voyager. Like, like the prop itself, I think it has its own memory alpha page for appearances. And I think yeah. somebody somebody even did a YouTube video that was like, and this thing that was on the Enterprise somehow ended up in the Delta Quadrant 75,000 light years away. And I'm just like, <laughs> so it's a cool moment here where it's totally background. Nobody cares except us. You know, the, the vibe that I get from all the stuff that's happening to Mariner is very much a Dragon Slayer vibe. Do you guys remember that game, Dragon Slayer? It was a arcade arcade game. Um, I believe there's, yeah, I played an emulator for the PC, but it's all animated. And it's one of those things where your your guy uh, is like this this knight, he's there to save the, the princess and he walks into a room and what you have to do is at the right time like press left. Or, or right, you know, or, or up. You have to, you have to trigger these things that that take you along in the in the story. It's like watching an animated movie, but if you mistime something or you know, do do something wrong, then you get like a, a death scene kind of thing that that corresponds to what you're trying to avoid. If you haven't, look it up, Dragon Slayer. It's huh. it's awesome. Slayer. Wicked. So we're in Lab 4006 with the red thing in the background, and they're moving on this thing that looks like a big old clock. Uh, Tendi's the one carrying it, still looking excited and smiling while doing it. So she almost drops it. Mariner catches it. Mariner gets shocked to hell with purple lightning. Hair frizzed out and on all ends. Doesn't look fun. Looks pissed when she hands it back to Tendi. Mm -hmm. And uh, they continue to Lab 4007. So they have a whole lot of labs that they're looking at on this stuff. More crystals, more troubles. It's true. But in this case, they've got a vial of something that Tendi carelessly kind of tips over uh, and pours it onto the onto Mariner, and it becomes like a jello goo thing that like sticks her to the ceiling. And again, there's that prop in the background. Just different yeah, lab. There it is. Yeah. And uh, Tendi has to fire her phaser at her to get it to release, and she just plops down onto the ground in like a puddle of purple goo or pink goo. Okay, seriously, in in peacetime, officers and crew are not walking around with phasers. 
but they might for anomaly <laughs> for this collection lab. duty. Right. No, for anomaly collection duty, they might have it though. Because they've got that vial. They're going yeah. prepared, man. I bet you anomaly collection duty literally has like lists of people. All right, in science lab four thousand seven, you're gonna get the pink goo. Try not to pour it on anything. Uh, but if you do, use a phaser to dislodge it. And yes, on this, this setting, yeah, right. And and okay. yes, it'll work on people. They'll be fine. And then you have to think for yourself. Wait, how do they know that? Right. Mm. These things have to have happened before, right? Right. Like, okay. Yeah. Cool. Totally. So we go to the next one, and both Rutherford and Mariner are looking pretty like fed up with this. And Tendi's just like slightly ashamed that she's put her friends through it, but she's still like into it. Uh, and we return back to the planet. We are back on Pactwed Planet. Golden, this golden helm of, of Sauron is their base. It's crazy. It looks really cool. I like, I like the architecture for it. It looks cool. Oh, yeah. Um, and the Pactwed are now offering uh, Freeman some food. It's like some rotten... Mush fruit or something? Yeah. Or mushroom? Yeah. She turned down the mush fruit. I think I would probably too. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the lady that came out with the pope-looking hat? The queen. What oh. if, what if the mushroom is what is making them, the way they Dumb. are? Maybe it mushes their brain. Maybe. Oh, interesting revelation. If that's what, what happened. What if an ancient packlet dump? Pacladum, there was like a sect of really smart and capable Pacleds who started feeding mushroom to the other Pacleds who got so fed up with literally like like no joke but like ended up just wiping out the smart Pacleds because there were way more dumb ones that just overwhelmed the rest of the society Dag, the cloud miners Ardana, right? Remember how the gas that they were mining made the workers dumb, the people who lived in the city were kept intelligent? Yeah. It's the opposite here their food is making them dumb Wow. Could be it. And the that's, smart packlets just moved off world and maybe they are in the space somewhere and they're like, Well hello, yes, those are our ancient cousins. We left long ago because they couldn't uh there was a pandemic and they wouldn't wear masks and so we left. <laughs> <laughs> if only we had the same option, right? <laughs> uh but yeah, so they ask again to talk about a ceasefire with the queen who's just showed up. Um they great to greet her as Janeway again, and the queen reports that she can't solve that problem. She needs a bigger hat. Mm -hmm. Okay, Freeman is again still pissed, um, and they ask, uh, they demand rather that Freeman and her crew not kill Rumdar; that they get to kill Rumdar instead. So <laughs> Freeman the... hails up to the ship. Oh, go ahead. Is this the first pack-led woman we've seen? The queen. So. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, first one. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the first one we've seen. Of course, we knew that they had to be Well, there. of course, but it, we? it's a milestone. Did we? It's a milestone moment. I don't think we should assume that they had to have women beforehand. How do you think Pac-Liz were born? How do you think Jem'Hadar were born? Well, yeah, they were made in a lab. They could but... have alternative replicational means, right? Like, reproductive means don't have to be... A and B. There are other options. What if there's like a Landrew AI that's just cloning packleds from a genetic stock that was replaced? What if when you cut a packlet in two, you end up with two packleds? Whoa. Yeah. And half the IQ. <laughs> so do you have like half a packled eggplant emoji then? <laughs> 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 uh, 
right, mm. so anyways, uh, they call up Ransom and are like, hey, Ransom, put on Rumdar so we can prove that he's alive. Um, you know, proof of life is a typical thing with a hostage situation. Mm. Uh, and Ransom tells him that Rumdar is gone, they don't know where he is, and Freeman looks real pissed again, and uh, tells the Queen that Rumdar is fine, he told us to tell you that to negotiate the ceasefire or whatever. Um, and she yeah. says the same thing. My helmet's not big enough for a ceasefire, which leads me to really believe that, like, they're literally thinking that the helmets will stop fire. That's what we're asking. Do you have a ceasefire? Can we get a ceasefire? And no, my helmet won't stop fire. I need a bigger helmet. <laughs> yeah. Again, another misunderstanding of of the language. They, the Packlers, may be thinking about literal fire. Yeah, they, I don't think so. I think they're just using it as an excuse to buy themselves time. Remember, their plan, as they reveal at the end, is really just to get a spy on the ship to get info. Yeah. I think it was just a time-buying thing. Okay. All right. Yeah. You okay there, Dag? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm fine. All right. Um, yeah, so we go back to the Cerritos. Uh, Casey and the Reb shirts are giving Boimler his makeover. It's very pretty woman kind of thing. They're uh, standing around like the mirror... There's some cool uh, stuff on the clothing rack off yes. to the side there. I see. I think I see like a maybe a Kess top and then a uh, a quirk jacket. There's a dress uniform. The one, I think. And then there's some kind of like maybe like a Chewbacca suit. I don't know. Yeah. So this Zinti Ensign does my favorite thing of the episode. I watched this at the gym while like I'm doing cardio and I bust out laughing while watching this scene. So half the Zinti that we saw in TAS uh, were like these real hunched over looking dudes with their ears kind of flapped down and it looked very pathetic, right? Mm -hmm. And he, he imitates that look. Yes. He, he does like a sadder voice when he does it too. Yeah. Um, and then and he straightens back up and... His whole point like there, this... yeah, his whole point there is to like, because Boimler slouches and he's like, you don't want to slouch, there's no commanding presence there, you want to be tall. Yeah, so I totally just, yeah, emulate I that appearance. That was so good. Yeah, it was fantastic, <laughs> honestly. Um, and it was well written too, right? Like the the idea that you have to teach a character or teach a person to just like stand with authority makes sense. And there's some fatigues back there on the on the hangar on the right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you guys notice that the uh, animation for the mirrors also showed you the people who were behind too? Like it wasn't like carelessly animated at all. They put a lot of thought into the animation for that. Yes. A lot of good uh, attention to detail. I, I did notice that. Yep. And then we've got Jennifer who uh, decides that his uniform needs to change. Like, posture is not enough. We need to change your uniform. And Boimer's like, it's a uniform. Okay, weird moment. We all wear the same one. Weird moment. And I wouldn't have thought about it if you hadn't have pointed out the mirror. Are you looking at the, the image where Jennifer's standing behind him and he's looking at her in the reflection? No, I was talking about it from the one before where he's looking at Casey right. through the mirror behind him. Right, so go to the one with Jennifer. Yeah. And in the front panel, Boimler's eyes are aimed towards his comm badge looking at Jen. And in the next panel over, the eyes should be looking the same direction, but they're looking at Jen too, away from his comm badge. The mirrors are angled. But the eyes should be pointed the same direction. The comm badge is still on the right side. Oh, I see. You're right. The flipping on it is wrong. The eyes yeah. should be looking the other way, and his nose is tweaked the other way, and his hair is tweaked the other way. But the combat is, and everything else is good. So the, the combat is the fuck up. Yeah, the clothes are fine. Yeah. It's the face that's jacked. 
Well, I would have gone the other way. Right? I, I thought it would have been the other way around. The face should flip. Uh, his, well, no, the face should be the same. You're right. You guys are s such trek beards. It's no, I I don't care. I think it's this isn't even a trek problem. This is an animation thing. This is like the animators yeah. made a tiny little, or his. His transporter clone is stalking him through the mirrors. <laughs> well, we had that scene in Discovery where we saw, like, the evil Stamets looking at Stamets brushing his teeth. Yep. You're right. Do we have an evil, evil, evil mycelial Boimler? <gasps> How bad could that be? Oh. All right. So, so uh, Jennifer <laughs> makes fun of his clothes. Jennifer makes fun of his hair. Boimler doesn't care about defending his clothes other than to say that we all wear the same uniform. But he defends his hair. He likes his hair. It's cute. Yeah, it's pretty cute. It's fine. Uh, but Casey challenges him, like, do you want to be a captain or not? And so he goes through with it. And uh, then we get the reveal where he's wearing a shirt that is uncomfortably tight. Um, like, looks like they have inserts in there. Those don't look like... He's wearing shoulder pads, and he's got his hair slicked back. Um, it's got to be something, because e even though it was a tight uniform, he, he looks like he's built. And you know that he's not. So. He's probably wiry, but he's shoulder definitely not like sure. muscly. Those are absolutely shoulder pads. I have a uniform with those. They make me look like that. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, so he flexes in the mirror. It's probably the first time that Boimler has had like enough self-pride to do something like that. And uh, him and the red shirts walk out and bump right into the lower deckers uh, on their anomaly collection duty. And... Uh, that drops some stuff out of the uh, the hover cart. And Tendi goes over and compliments his new look. And they start chit-chatting. And he comments on the thing that was in the bottle that she spilled onto Mariner that was purple goop. So he's very much in tune with what these artifacts are. And he probably would have been very helpful to have on this mission. But instead, he was getting a makeover. And Which, I... It was a good makeover. But Mariner gives him the eyes. Like... Mm -hmm. Mariner makes it very clear you should have been here. Uh, but yeah. Then his little red shirt buddies like give him shit for talking to his old friends, and off he goes. While they're cleaning oh. up a nanite spell. I gotta tell you guys a funny story. It's just random. So, many, many years ago, uh, this is probably late 90s, uh, early 2000s, I was visiting home. My two nieces were there. They were young. I want to say each of them were under 10 at the time. Just out of nowhere, one of them looked at me and said, Uncle Jeff, you look like you should be on one of those extreme makeover shows. I couldn't believe I'm like, what? Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like, that was a, I mean, I kind of, that was a good one. That that was kids a good. Are, kids are cruel, man. That was sharp. That was deep cut right there. Oh, yeah. It All was, right, so. Cleaning up nanites. Uh, yes, cleaning up nanites. And uh, they they literally, with just their bare hands, scoop it back into, like, this container. Um, and Rutherford comments that they can calculate warp trajectories, but what was the other part of it? But they can't they can't stop themselves from replicating or something? Huh. I, I don't... Yeah, it was something that like one that. I'm... It was something like that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, then we see that the nanites are literally consuming uh, Mariner's hand. She looks very upset, and she makes it clear to Tendi that Tendi being so positive is driving her crazy. Um, I have a note about Mariner to say at the end of the episode that I thought was interesting Okay. for this episode. So 
we'll remind stay you. tuned if you're still listening. Uh, we cut back to Kayshawn and Ransom, who are still running around looking for uh, uh, Rumdar, yep. who's gone. And then we get back to another awkward Boimler training for captaincy moment, where they're trying to get him to give a captainy speech, like a motivational speech. And they have like a stage set up and everything. They're all just sitting there like like critics at a theater performance. I like that we shot. still have fold-out chairs. Yeah. I noticed that. have chairs in Trek before. We probably have, but we still have them. It, yeah. it looks like he's at an open mic session. Right? Yeah. Or like a, a poet moment. Maybe thing. it's on the holodeck. Um, could, it could be a nightclub. It's just not yeah. open that night. Yeah, or in the yeah they're on shift, so it's probably during the day, I guess. Totally I missed. Guess means... Totally missed a cameo reference by Joe Piscopo. It would have been perfect to have the comedian show oh, up. Oh man! Oh yeah. If you remember him from when Data was trying to be funny and on stage. Yep. Mm-hmm. Ah, the days. <laughs> Could have had that, didn't? Yeah, I like so that his calves more... are padded. Yeah, it looks very uncomfortable what he's wearing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Boymore gives his little speech. It falls flat. Uh, Casey gives him this little pep talk about like, imagine what Riker would say and then he starts talking from the heart again and it's actually really good and he gets this like dramatic lighting out of nowhere and then he's like on the bridge of the Enterprise D the swooping arch, everything, it's all there and he gives like a real good rousing speech and it worked out just fine and then we cut back him sitting in the chair and like the four other red shirts are standing around very dramatic, very much something that happens in a TV show, like in somebody's head, it's an imagination scene, cool, cool. Yeah. Uh, and then he gets some claps. I was expecting snaps, but he got claps from the four other red shirts, and he's happy. Mm-hmm. There are five <laughs> lights. Oh, <laughs> too soon. There are five lights. I didn't catch that. There are five Probably lights. Probably not unintentional. There are. Probably yeah. not unintentional. I mean, it makes sense for a stage to have lighting like that. I just noticed yeah. it right now. I'm like, oh, there are five lights. Oh, that's actually meaningful in Star Trek. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> um, that's also the first appearance of the Enterprise D in an animated format. I don't see five lights. And there are four. Pra- nope, never mind. It's not the first appearance of the Enterprise D since Generations, because we've seen it in a couple of other things as references or dreams, but um, it's the first appearance of the bridge as an animated format for the D. Yeah, for sure. Which is a nice thing. It looks great. The, it's beautiful. Yeah. It always has been. I want that set piece um, for a background. Like, that'd be great. Like a zoom background. Cut, oh, yeah. We cut back to the lower deckers and their cleanup duty, and they reach Miglimo's office, where when they look inside, it's just a pile of looks like trash. There are like kids' books, jars, something that looks like a toilet plunger. Like it, it looks bad. One and... interesting thing, I know this is weird, but there's a there's a stuffed teddy, there's a stuffed but bunny, in in the thing. Kukulaka joke? No, Kukulaka was not a was not a bunny. It was a teddy bear. No, it was a teddy bear. But but yeah. I think we have seen a bunny before, when they were evacuating the Enterprise D. Oh, Jordan, the kid that dropped it. Jordy yeah, yeah, picked yeah. up. Jordy picked girl. up that little girl, and I think she dropped a stuffed bunny. Viewers, listeners, if you know differently, comment and you know correct me. But that was my brain on drugs. I think that was a, I think that was a teddy bear. I... There's also an Uhura earpiece just lying there. Wow, the more I look at this, the more I see a flux coupler. 
A TLS uh, tricorder? Yes. There are some things that look like tendrils. There's some things that look like um, meditation orbs. There's all sorts of stuff. This is great. Miggly Mo is a, a hoarder. A hoarder. In the book, three little pigs. Yep. So Tendi loses her cool for a moment and like snaps back at Mariner and Rutherford that if you guys don't want to do this duty, fine, I'll do it myself. Never a good phrase to say, um, especially when it's your first time doing the thing. Mm -hmm. So she goes over, picks up a book, like picks up some weird goggle thing, uh, a, a partial sword that's been snapped, and like just starts reading from this little three little pigs book. And then magically three pill or three pig creatures come out of it. Because, because of course. Because yes. Could be worse. And why not? Could have been Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> oh yeah. Could have been Mr. Mistleplex. Not like we haven't seen Rumpelstiltskin before. Could have been Candyman from a fairy tale book. Oh God. Well, Candyman was voiced by Tony Todd, so everything's good, right? Yep, Kern yeah. from TNG and DS9. Hmm. Love him. Oh, so, yeah. and he was um. Okay, well now I'm gonna get us. Old Jake. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. I stopped myself. Yep. Before I went on one of my tangents. Tangents are fine. Tangents are fine. People like our tangents. You right? know, Miglimo was actually really nice. He just left it all on the table. It just looked like he had it all all over the place, but it was just the table. Yeah, from the different angle, you can see how much it is. Do but yeah, so Tendi ends up wrestling with the three pig monster things while they're smashing his office. Uh, she's literally riding one on the back. And while they're doing it, she accidentally knocks over, like, a jar with an orange goop inside. And this is my favorite part of the episode, maybe. I really like this. Um, and it, like, grows and animates to a gigantic orange slug monster thing with bright uh -huh. blue eyes that just, like, looks pretty happy, to be honest, until it eats her. <laughs> uh, it slurps her in, uh, and Mariner's yelling at her, don't get digested in there, which is great. Um, she doesn't stay in there very long, because uh, she comes right out, and the monster looks like it's having a hard time pressing it out. <laughs> but she goes right out, and she... <laughs> now hates Anomaly Collection Duty. Oh, yeah. Pull up image 233 on, on that one. No, I'm not going back to the butthole. <laughs> but on 231, you see what I mean by it's clearly that he's pushing. Like, it's a Chipotle kind of day. For right, this yeah. Oh, God, no, Chipotle. don't say that about my Chipotle. Come on. But we also get validation here again for the third time that they have the right equipment to take care of this if it gets out of mm. hand. Yep, because she had the hypo spray and knew what to do with it too. Done. And it gets kind of looks like a small size. spaghetti the monster. Look of, the look of devastation on her face as she got pooped out of this thing. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And then terrible. she like huddles in a ball like while while recovering afterwards, right? Like some PTSD yeah. is there. <laughs> Though to be fair, in this scene now we see Rutherford with bags under his eyes. We see Mariner with her hair out of place and looking pretty frazzled, uh -huh. and Tendi is covered in goo. Just slug goo. goo. Slug goo. goo. Oh no, it's um, not goo. It's oh. slug shit. I said goo because it rhymes. There goes. So it's fine. There okay. goes the kids' rating. Sorry. <laughs> we had a boo boo word. 
<laughs> so we cut back to the uh, pack leads, and we've got Mer or sorry Freeman and Shax still surrounded by a bunch of guards who think they're holding them captive. And the pack led queen is still there. And then the pack led emperor shows up, who has an even bigger hat. Much bigger hat. And a beard. He does have a beard. That's true. I he's... think he's the first pack led we've seen with a beard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, but then there's there's a, a guy with an even bigger hat that comes out after him. All the big See helmets. The I'm talking about? They, no? just, they just came with rank. There was the king and the emperor. The king has the beard. The emperor does not have a beard. Right. Oh, you're right. Yes. With the with his yeah. entourage of bodyguards behind him, with faceless bodyguards, like, sticks. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely they uh, have I, the uh, the presentation I well. I don't remember there being a difference between the king and there being an emperor. I thought it was just the emperor. No, there was the queen. And then the right. king showed up, and she was like, finally, I can ask the question. And then the emperor showed up, and it rendered the whole situation moot. They have no concept oh, of caring about right. any of that. There's nothing that means anything anymore. And then and then it all gets interrupted anyway. Yeah, the assassins show up and kill him. And take his hat and put it on. He is strong. Total throwback to the original. Yeah. <laughs> he is uh, smart. Okay, so they have a bit of a revolution, which was kind of expected, you know. They kind of hinted at it from the very beginning of the episode by saying, like, are you trying to foment a revolution on the planet kind of thing? So, <laughs> cool. There were some hints to it. I There's like an that. interesting moment there where they're like, we will no longer answer the helmets. And then he puts the helmet on and he's like, oh, I like this helmet. <laughs> and suddenly <laughs> he's the leader because he has the helmet on. Oi. Well, it's shiny. I can see why he likes it. I'm so still loving these establishing shots. The ships yeah. are beautiful. It's so nice. I wish we got more of that in the other shows as well, to be honest. Right? Like, just show me what Discovery looks like in a nice, well-lit scene for a good pretty couple seconds in orbit of a planet. Right? Like, that, that makes yeah. me happy. I, I need my TMP new Discovery scene. Please. Give it we to me. You don't need it every episode, but give no, it to us like once a show. I don't need every episode. <laughs> I just need one. We're like, they've been on the station debriefing after the last mission for like three months, discoveries and mothballs, and they're like, all right, fine, you can go back out. And we get our little shuttle tour of Discovery in season four, where we can actually see some of the really cool details they've gone through on that. That'd be so good. I agree. Yeah, just think about the model work that went into making the TMP Enterprise, right? Like, that was a physical model that was crazy detailed. It was huge, and they showed it off. Yeah, they did. Oh, right? yeah. With all that work? Same thing with V'ger, right? The V'ger model was massive. I think it was like nine feet long. Yeah. It was a huge amount of effort, and it was shown off in the movie. Cool, cool. We've seen it in TNG. We've seen it in D DS9's intro cinematic is showing off their model, mm -hmm. right? So, cool. We've never had anything like that, really, for Discovery or for the La Sirena, right? Like... Both those designs are pretty cool. We only ever seem to see the La Sirena when it's going to warp and flying away from the camera really fast. Mm -hmm. So give me some, some glory shots, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. So we cut back to Boimler now walking all authoritatively in charge of the, the red shirters. Um, and he sees Tendi and the rest of the group, like, working. And he's like, I'm going to go say hi to, like, my friends or whatever. And they try to talk. They, they essentially tell, tell him you can't do that don't want to go to their level right 
And uh, Tendi is now still pissed, still hating Anomaly Collection Duty, and she picks up a cube, which we learn is a Ataxian mood shifter. Looks like a pink Energon cube. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was into. And More as soon than as she starts getting, <laughs> as soon as she starts talking, the thing starts glowing like an Energon cube, and yeah. uh, it starts merging into her chest. And uh, then her eyes start glowing, and she's getting more and more pissed. And uh, she starts turning into a monster. Do you remember the pink uh, slime from Ghostbusters 2 that was mood-influenced? Yes. Yes, the mood slime. Yeah. Mm -hmm. good, good reference there. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So this one reacts to her anger, and she turns into what looks like a... A scorpion, and again, because why not? Easier yeah. to do with animation than it would be with a real actor, so. Yeah. I thought it was turning her into a Harada at first, but nope. The eyes, yeah. Oh, yeah, but you know? this is way cooler. Yep. Yeah, this is fantastic. This Where's reminds me a lot in... of Worf turning into an arachnid. <laughs> he didn't turn into a spider. Barkley turned into a yeah, spider. Oh, Barkley. you're right. It was Barkley. Worf turned into something, too. He's like a Feklar monster thing, too. Yeah. He... he... Yeah, well, no, he turned into like a super predator, more of a, a early Klingon, like their version of what would be a caveman. Yeah, exoskeletal, and oh yeah. boy, that was terrifying. I wonder if they got a stuntman for that, or if they actually just made Michael Dorn run around the ship and all that weight. Oh, uh, he's a big man. He is. Yeah. But yeah, so Tendi runs amok. She smashes through Kayshawn and Ransom like they were not even there. They freak out. She runs to the mess hall. She starts attacking things in there. Um, and the red shirters show up to be like, we have to do something. We can help. Um, and Boymore's like, do something. Let's help. And Jennifer starts, like, walks in and starts giving, like, a, pa a passionate speech to the other uh, crew who are there. And then a second later, Castro does it. And then Casey does it. And now all the crew are like, what, what are they doing? They're all talking over each what, what? They're all giving speeches. Yeah, like that's not going to help here. And it's Boy like Moore calls them out on it. If you're playing D&D &D with multiple bards and all the bards are talking at the same time, it doesn't matter what your charisma is. It's bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've all met people like that in work situations, right? People who like talk a big game, but when it actually comes to do stuff, they are useless. Yeah. But yeah, so that's period. What we get to, and then Boymore chastises them for not doing shit, and then he runs in, uh, gets Tendi's attention, and uh, flips over, tells, or like gets attacked. He flips over some tables and such, like pretty yeah. dramatically. It was cool, and like tells uh, Mariner and Rutherford what's going on. Explains like it's an attacks in mood cube. Oh, I have an idea. Yeah, they um, they they explain what she did, and then he's like, Oh yeah, that's what that sounds like. Mm -hmm. It yep. totally so, shows off his, his brass here. It's great. It also shows off that he really is made for these types of jobs, right? Like, he knows this stuff. He would have shown the proper deference to the stuff. He's a great character for these roles. Uh, so he, again, hops over a table, runs to the replicator, and gets a bowl of beans and waits until the tendy runs up to attack him. Then he dumps the beans on his head and makes a goofy face. The tendy looks very surprised. Uh, he runs to another replicator, asks for a birthday cake with candles of varying temperatures, uh, stands in front of the tendy. Or was it varying luminescence? Face. I thought it was temperatures, but... Could be, yeah. 
he trips, smashes his face into it, and the attendee like has to suppress a chuckle. The the red shirts are looking from the door, horrified. Like, what is he doing? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, he's trying to make her change her emotions, guys. It's a mood shifter. Makes sense here. Uh, he catches on fire. He starts smacking his arm to put it out. Whatever. Uh, and then he goes and yells at the replicator like a ton of food orders like chicken nuggets, hamburger patty whatever, it's just like a diary of the mouth of order. I'll tell you what it is Go. It is a taffy honey shrimp soda corn steak chicken nugget crispy lemon rock candy chili gravy chocolate sundae hot Oh yeah Now available for a limited time at Wendy's And then it's Remember that short trek with um, with the ensign who found the queen on the ship? Yeah, that was Tilly Remember? and 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 Poe. Poe, yeah. that was her name. And po they were ordering all those food. Get out. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what it reminded me of, with the food just coming flying out of the thing at points, right? Yeah. Oh yes. Boimler yeah. gets pinned across the room from the cannon fire of food from the replicator, and the tendee loses it and she shrinks back down to her normal self and he's covered in food goop she jumps into the food goop and lays down next to him and they like hash it out like they talked and the lower deckers are finally reunited the four of them are happy together at least i would say this is the second episode in a row where changing somebody's mood saved the day because yeah. the duplers we pissed duplers. off that guy and he, yes. he, he figured his shit out yeah Changing the mood was the uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for um, when it's the what drives the plot. Jeez, uh, I, I, you know, I'm getting old. I'm There's gonna, an audience I, member I, out there who knows the word. They're gonna post it. As yeah. A comment. Well, I'm I'm gonna be 44 tomorrow, so I'm definitely feeling it. Like, well, early happy birthday. Early happy birthday down. indeed. Yeah, Jay. If, you're, if you're listening to this, we're recording this September 17th. So, so Jay's birthday was two days ago. By the time of this posting, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. that's my right. Happy Say happy birthday, birthday to Jay. Jay. Happy birthday, Jay. And it was fitting that no, no, no. In the comments, Boim- like listeners, oh. please say happy birthday to Jay. That, that's <laughs> got I, I got our... directions unclear, Dag. Right. Well, in Boimler, one of the things he replicated was a birthday cake, so it feels oh. special, kind of. My daughter made me. Uh, my youngest one made me a cake. And um, I, I said, yeah, we should put candles on it. And uh, you can help me blow out the candles. And she said, we should put 44 candles on it. And I said, woo, not that many. We don't have to do that, like a few. Fire hazard. God, yes. Anyways, we cut to our next scene, which is Ransom and Keyshawn coming, like regaining consciousness after getting knocked out by Tendi. And they're like, man, how long were we out? We have to find Rumdar. And dude floats by and behind them in the window. Keyshawn notices it and then they both notice it and he's literally just an, a personicle outside like he's frozen stiff outside Keyshawn uh, says Shaka a reference to <laughs> Shaka when the walls fail a sign of failure or dismay I think in this case it's more dismay yeah well I, th- I think that's might be their way of saying shit <laughs> wait no Zinda his eyes red he said earlier that was the dismay when they'd lost him and now it's now it's Shaka. Shaka. Failure. Failure. They, okay. they failed to down them in what they were supposed to do. Of course, the dude's just floating around in space, and he lived, like, again, why not? 
I, I, that's not a first in Star Trek or a first in sci-fi, really. Like, Dargo in Farscape gets shot out in space a couple times, and he can survive in space for, like, 30 minutes at a time or whatever, and it's not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's not crazy. We know Borg Star-Lord. drones. Yeah. Borg drones survive outside all the time. Yeah. Thor in um, Infinity War was out in space for how long? And then he got pulled in. Brock Samson, Venture Brothers. Yeah, so we find out very shortly that uh, Rumdar is not dead. Ta'ana doesn't know how the guy's still alive, but he's still alive after she cracks, like, some frozen ice off his nose, and he, like, kind of comes to. <laughs> the absurdity of this, of the show, I love it. Like, yeah, he's just floating in space, but he's still and alive. He, and here we find out how he uh, got out in space. He thought he was using the bathroom. <laughs> It was an airlock. Not, <laughs> not great. Not great. And then, uh, before he's transported off the ship, uh, he asks Ransom for the uh, ship's codes. All of them. Yeah, no, that's, you know, 16309, right? 8675309. Oh, I was doing the Reliance code. Yeah, the, the Reliance uh, prefix code. Yeah. Right. And I gave yeah. a different number. Yeah, no, no, no. Oh, yeah. Okay, so it's it's not just the Reliance prefix code anymore. It's Jenny's Starship's dialing address for the Stargate. Nice. <laughs> now, can you can you say eight six seven five three zero nine without singing it? I just did. Let me hear. It. Eight six seven five three zero nine. There you go. Okay. I can do it. All right. Eight so six seven back to, five three zero nine. We go back to the planet. Um, and we see that Rumdar has been beamed down. The Packleds are happy to see him. Um, and he announces that I wasn't really a refugee. I was a spy, and I didn't even tell you anything. Mm. Freeman, Freeman plays it up the same way Riker did. Compliment their intelligence, butter them up a little bit, and they just start talking like a bird, or singing like a bird. And, uh... Freeman sees the opportunity, says that he was indeed very amazing, like, whatever, like, we didn't learn anything about the stuff that you weren't supposed to tell us. What kind of stuff did, weren't you supposed to tell us so I can be even more impressed by you? And then he goes, oh, we're gonna try and smuggle a Veruvian bomb onto Earth. Then she calls him a master spy and they beam out. Yeah. yeah they, they feel good, so they feel accomplished because I, I think with the pack leads, I'm starting to see that that their thing and how the crew is going to get out of hot water with them is the complimenting. It, it seems like that's that's their weakness or or Achilles' heel is you compliment them on on what they're doing and that's how you gain their respect. Yeah, manipulate them by complimenting them, right? Like make them treat them like equals to yeah. their face. And then manipulate them to do the things you want. And that seems to work. That's what Riker did. Yeah. Right? Yes. Until he beamed off Jordy. And that's essentially what Freeman did here to get info. So it worked for both. There's two uh, cool moments that there's one moment that I, I feel like we skipped over. We didn't mention the uh, the crimson uh, what was that crimson weapon? Crimson force field. Yeah. He comes in asking about the crimson force field, which was presented in the Samaritan, in Samaritan Snare. Snare. Yeah. Uh, but here he mentions that they're gonna smuggle a Veruvian uh, bomb on Earth. Where have we heard Veruvian before? Wasn't that from just a couple episodes in Lower Decks that they were mining the ore of it? Correct. That's Veruvian ore. So now we know what they were up to with the ore. They were mining it to make a bomb. Notably, though, 
the Titan crew members even noted that the Packlets are not advanced enough to make a Veruvian bomb themselves, so somebody needs to be, like, helping them out on it. That was pointed so, out. So who's the somebody? Will we figure that out by the end of the season? Who are their allies? Well, is there a somebody, though, or are, or is Starfleet just once again underestimating the Packlets? Uh, it could go either way. It could be. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. It could go either way. It would be nice yeah. to be like we're the people behind the packlets, and it's the smart packlets. Yeah. <laughs> so it's still I, the packlets. I, I hope that's. But it's the smart ones. Well, it's just like the group of Vulcans that split off from Vulcan. They became the Romulans. Romulan Star Empire. And, you know. Yeah. Honestly, the Vulcans who went super logical should have changed their names so that the Vulcans who were still emotional and like all down with that didn't need to. so we end up back on the Cerritos and we've got Tendi apologizing for requesting the anomaly consolidation duty she apologizes for her rampage you know Mariner finally sucks it up and goes you know what it's not that bad it's just our job it's not that bad it's part of the fun of Starfleet whatever Um, they were being too dramatic about it her and Rutherford are being too dramatic about it and uh, your positivity is something we should have fed off of rather than trying to stamp it down which is a very mature thing for anybody to say. He works in a team, right? Like, right. It's a, it's a good approach, and then they hug it out. Yeah. And then they note that she smells like a slug-digested scorpion, which is also very probably true. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really the smell of adventure. <laughs> and so with, with this, there's a lesson to be learned, and it seems like each of these episodes kind of has that that G.I. Joe moment at the end. Where it's a very Trek learn- thing to do. Yeah, TOS we're learning us half the battle. Episode. Yeah. Right. TOS was legendary for it. So they were... I think Tindy gets harped on a lot for her overly positive outlook and attitude. And then, big surprise, that's what they had to use to get her out of the uh, Scorpion King mode. So they kind of learned something there. Yeah, I love Tendi's positivity. It feels very refreshing to me in a in a yeah. media environment where people are dark and cynical and jaded about things all the time. She's mm-hmm. the opposite, and I love it. All right, uh, we cut back to the red shirts uh, making their way, talking about like the bridge acting, acting captaincy job or whatever, and uh, they run into Boymore. And uh, Casey just tells him, you're no longer welcome with us. You can't sit with us. It's very Mean Girls-esque. Um, Boimer doesn't seem to give a shit, which is good. Um, the fact that they're building this whole persona around appearing captain-like and looking like other captains doesn't make you an actual captain, he points out, which is very true. Um, and he says that it's kind of like a, they're wasting their time in this Red Shirts Club rather than you know actually building their own personalities. Uh, Casey doesn't seem to care, but... Jennifer Castro and the Zinti Ensign all decide that they're out, so Casey's left on his own. Uh, Ransom just so happens to walk by, so Casey just like huffs and runs off and goes like, Sir, I did nominate myself for acting captain duty, and uh, Ransom was like, sure, whatever. (laughs) Um, But he walks past Boimler and gives him like a true, honest, heartfelt compliment about like quick thinking, dealing with the uh, the mess in the mess hall or whatever. Mm And, uh, you showed true leadership. Casey, yeah, even Casey looks truly jealous of getting that kind of compliment. So yep. it was good. Any thoughts on the scene, guys? I was just really proud of the way that Boimler stepped up for himself instead of uh, just ignoring that. Yeah, 
he he's definitely like paying more attention i mean the whole episode was really just a really nice way to feature boimler on his own and to show the lower decks people like or his his fellow compatriots tendy rutherford mariner like if boimler had been there would he have been the one that got needled in the face and zapped and you know would he been the one that turned into the scorpion or would he have leveled or would he would he have countered or foiled mariner and rutherford's um dismay and they all would have just done the tasks and it would have been fine i I think they would have just done the tasks and and been fine and with with this scene so i think that we have a tendency to underestimate boimler and he can he can act on his feet and he does know how to get out of these situations and it shows what he learned and shows uh, us that the all talk people are not going to get things done because they walk in and all they had were speeches and not and not action. Whereas Boimler, when it's time to perform, he performs, and he's done that more than once. Which again, we've all seen people like that in work situations too, right? Like a manager or a, or a VP or a director or something that gives a good talk, gives a speech, but when it comes to actually getting things done, they delegate it. or it's not, they're not there, right? So those are people who are hard to follow as, uh, as subordinates, right? Um, you need actual leadership and leadership means getting down in the trenches sometimes. So I think that this uh, shows us more about like the work culture of Starfleet, much in the same way that the Boymore Effect episode did last season, right? Like uh, a micromanaging dictatorial style is bad for work. Mm-hmm. So is in this case, a leader that doesn't actually lead. So I like that. And it's, yeah. it's very topical, right? Like at, right now everybody's going through like, changes in their working because of the working from home or COVID pressures or all that. So this moment to re-examine it. This moment contrasts nicely with the despair that he felt when they went to that diplomacy planet in the first season and like Mariner knew everything, did anything, and then in order to bring his spirits up, set up a Ferengi so that he could feel yeah. like he did something. But when he's despairing, he's like, you know everything and you're so smart and you're so capable and here I am by the book and it doesn't get me anywhere. And now what we're seeing is the emergence of, I think, a more balanced officer who definitely still sticks to the book's uh, but knows how to improvise and adapt it, when it comes in a pinch. And so, yeah. you know, Boimler, I'm not sure how he's going to end up in that statue, you know, a thousand years from now or whatever. Uh, right. But we'll get there. We'll get there well, speaking when we get of, there. Speaking of scorpion mood monsters, I've got one that keeps looking at me through the door. So We're nearly done, sir. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's, sorry. I'm it, it's fiance aggro. No, you probably no, heard me. I'm no, you're right on the door. You guys have a very unique love language. <laughs> Don't worry, Big J. We're nearly done. We've got like one scene left, two scenes left to go. Yeah. So our penultimate scene is Freeman on the bridge, talking to Starfleet. Everyone did a good job at the pack leads. Everybody's talking about like we reported the Veruvian bomb. It's all good stuff. And uh, she tells Ransom, "You want to go get a drink?" So. Ransom looks at Casey and leaves him the con. <clears throat> and he stands up and walks to the captain's chair and sits down. And then the shift ends, so Shax shows up and tells him to get the hell out of his chair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, delightful. 
perfect. He was acting captain for like a minute. Yeah, <laughs> half a second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give him more credit than that. I think he was probably like lost in his head for a second there, just like the okay. genius of sitting in the chair. But yeah, I'm, still pointless. And I have to assume that Ransom was like, totally totally knew exactly what he was doing in that moment. He's like, here kid, have 15 Ransom, seconds, don't destroy the ship. <laughs> he seems like the kind of guy, and then Shax comes in, and he's like, out of the chair. Well, we know Ransom doesn't like brown nosers, because he's got that one uh, lieutenant that follows him around and like is really sucking up to him, and Ransom doesn't yes. pay him any attention. So, <clears throat> so now we go to Evans, probably the second best scene. One I know last you're thing, still though. talking, sorry. Casey is given orders by Shax to go clean out Airlock 17. Oh. Rumdar did something unspeakable in there. <laughs> I want to know more about what Pac-Led unspeakables are like. Is, he, so no, no, is, no, that, is that follow-up duty for anomaly consolidation? <laughs> is it duty? Oh. Is it duty, though? It's, it's duty. duty. It's definitely duty. Alright, and then we go duty. to our last scene, which is the lower deckers back in their bunks talking about all the action that Boymore missed, and Boymore seems to have legitimately missed hanging out with his friends and doing that job, mm-hmm. and Mariner puts out a sub-manifold casting stone that she smuggled out of Shax's pile. Uh, Mariner notes that they can use it to broadcast their voice to other planets, and Tendi jokingly suggests, what are we going to do with that? Talk to Armus? Which is hilarious that everybody knows what Armus is and don't go to this fucking planet because it kills people like Tasha Yar. But uh-huh. uh, and they prank go, call him. It's so good. We go to Varga, Varga two, uh, or Vagra two, and Armus is sitting there alone on the edge of his little pool, looking kind of kind of sad and wishing for somebody to torture. And then the voice calls him a big pile of crap from the <laughs> sky. And people, it's like a prank call. You can hear people in the background of the call laughing yeah. right and it's it's perfect he looks so mad he's i will kill you with a flake of my power or evil i am a skin of evil evil <laughs> he even trips and becomes like a puddle that has to like snake itself back into the main puddle it's Tripped great over rock very good ending delightful good call back to an old ass episode <sighs> yeah that we haven't seen it ever since we haven't uh, seen we haven't seen armis since 1987 1988 so it's been 33 I was years one. yep skin of evil 33 years congratulations if you're younger than that okay if you're older than that you're not as old as you think you are because you're still cool <laughs> Yeah. So overall, I give this episode many stars. Like it's at least four out of five uh, sad zinti stars. Four out of five sad zinti stars. That's that's a heck of a rating right there. Um, I'm gonna give it uh, seven out of ten. Um, d- uh, Cerritos hats. I think I would go with eight out of ten. Tendy scorpions. Did we see a Cerritos hat and I missed it? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, really. he had a Cerritos shirt and a, and a shirt, badge. Yeah. The badge hat. It's a silver badge. Yep. Uh, but yep, it didn't actually say Cerritos, hat. but it's on yeah, the it's Cerritos, a... so. You're right. Uh, that's where I'm going for. I'm yeah, no, you can absolutely, so absolutely, there's going to be merch. There's going to be merch. <sighs> I, I, I like that. I mean, I think it's maybe a little silly but honestly why not because they're a second contact ship so 
they probably regularly have dignitaries and guests and so forth. So, yeah, mm. here's the gift shop. You can get yourself some new Starfleet swag on your visit. I mean, if you've ever been to like a military base, uh, they always have like exchanges there where you can buy like swag if you have an escort to take you there. You can get like shirts that are appropriate and stuff there too. Uh, even like Navy ships when they're at ports on in other countries, they will set up like little swag boost or whatever on the ship where you can buy stuff. It's neat. They sell stuff. It's like, you know, they have branded shirts and such and hats. and It's something for people oh, to do. I've never been on a military base or on a ship. I didn't know that that was actually a thing. Okay. Yeah, it's a thing. It's it's not like a full gift shop, but um, the bases do have like an exchange where you can, they're meant for service members to go in there and buy like their new uniforms or if they get like a promotion, they go there to get their, their equivalent of pips or their, their whatevers, right? That's all there. But if you're just a guest on the base, you can go there and buy stuff too. Hmm. Okay, nice. Well, cool. Do we have sponsors to thank today? Yes. Yes, we do. And, you know, I had that open before we started. And then for some reason, my dumbass closed it. So it's here okay. we go. Happens to me too. <laughs> so thank you to our sponsors, Stephanie Baker, Patreon and Anchor. A new one here, Nora Hickman, who just subscribed to our Patreon. Thank you so much, Nora, for being a new Patreon donator. Uh, then we've got S. Tam for Patreon, Anne Marie on Patreon, and Jim Cook on Anchor. And if you saw our video and saw our backgrounds and want to see the screenshots that we were talking about, you can get those from John at Cygnus-X1.net. And thank you, John, for all your work that you do there. Your screenshots are literally a part of our show. Oh, so yeah, well, everyone, it. I don't know about you. I want to thank the audience for going boldly with Beyond Trek podcast, but I'm going to go to Wendy's. Wait, before you go, Dag, did you ever watch Pirates of Dark Water? Because the Armus in the last episode or in this episode looked like the Pirates of Dark Water, like the black ooze. Now that I think about it, wow, it's got that tentacly look to it. If you've never seen the show. You should look and it up. You've seen it early nineties. You've seen the show. That's it. Had a very distinct animation. It was nice. No, uh, you're talking about Wendy's. Now I'm hungry. I haven't uh, even had dinner yet. Go take your your fiance out to Wendy's. That's a great night date. Yeah. Mm, Chicken nuggets. Okay. Street corn. Honey, you want to go to Wendy's? We are Beyond Trek Podcast. Lower your inhibitions and surrender your years. We will add inspirational and hilarious Trek content to your day. Your attention will adapt to subscribe to us. Resistance is futile.